Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Land Talks Back. Today, we have a very special episode, and we are all very excited to get right into this. So I will just quickly introduce myself, and then the rest of the climate team can introduce themselves. So hello, everyone. I am Squawkwash. My English name is Sunshine. I am from Lytton, BC. I am Niklam and Yakima. And Hayden, I'll pass it on to you. Uh, thanks, Sunshine. Um, super glad to be here. Um, this will be my first podcast, so be uh, be gentle with me. Uh, my name is Hayden Leo. I'm from the Little Nation near Whistler and Pemberton, BC. I am part of the Statlium Nation there as well, as the bigger whole of the group. And uh, that is me. Um, I'll pass it off to my good friend and cousin, Eliza. Elizabeth Peters. Hello, everyone. My name is Small. I'm from the Lilwat Nation in the Slatlands Territory. We are the Ukumuk people, and my English name is Elizabeth Peters. I'm here with my fellow climate team, which I'm so excited. And I'm going to hand it over to Patashi. Thank you. And hello, everyone. My name is Patashi Pims. I am the Kavim in Yaka from Klamchin, uh, more widely known as Lytton, BC. Uh, but I am actually currently calling in from the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people. And I will pass it over to Cassidy. Thank you, Patashi. Um, I'm Cassidy George. I'm from Tasauk Nation which is just located in Victoria, BC, uh, close to where Patashi is actually. But I will just leave it off at that because there's another introduction just like mine, which I'll just pass it off to Shelby. Nice, thank you so much. Well, Tanza, everyone, my name is Shelby Anderson, but my traditional name is Siguanachuk, which means spring spirit in Cree. My dad is a proud Métis man and my mom is a very kind and generous Cree woman. I'm from Wabasca, Alberta, which is about three hours north of Edmonton, depending on how fast you drive. And now I'll pass it on to my good friend, Terrence. Thanks, Shelby. Hi, I'm Terrence. I'm from uh, Vancouver Island, BC. I live in Souk, and uh, I'm a member of Souk Nation. Thank you. Here's Hayden. He's going to talk about some SDGs, tell you a little bit about them. Awesome. Thanks, Terrence. Um, we talked about SDGs, but like really... What are the SDGs? Um, they are 17 global goals that uh, we are trying to kind of uh, shed some light onto. Uh, ranges from poverty, deforestation, and climate justice, or climate action, I should say. And then the next part is why do we care? And this is like how indigenous people are working towards sustainable communities and how we aren't consulted in said uh, global discussions. So I'll have any one of my uh, team members um, talk about what they have in their community, what's going on there. I can definitely say something upon what you were saying. Uh, it's definitely a community work for what we're trying to do. Um, in my community for South Nation, Terrence and I's family, we're close, like on family. We'll work together with net zero and solar power rather than like actual power plants and stuff like that as well as um, sustainable food gathering and 
also gardening, making sure everything's sustainable for when it comes to the point where we're not having to rely on things that aren't ourselves. And it is a good opportunity and learning acknowledgement to have just to like continue to be prepared for the future for anything really. Like we're not telling you this is going to happen while you're alive, but you know, you need your children to know these things. And it's just a matter of fact that we all gotta work together no matter what. Sweet, that's awesome, Cassidy. Um, we got, uh, we're trying to work towards global sustainability in our community in Lola Nation. We got like um, a recycling plant that maybe Eliza could uh, delve deeper into. I'm, I'm not too well versed in that. I, I recycle, obviously, but you know, Eliza's done the research and the stuff back home. Thank you, Hayden. Yes, uh, out of the 17 sustainable development goals for the globe, our nation here tends to them uh, as living beings, so to speak, like education. And as Hayden said, recycling, we are a leader, as far as I understand, in our recycling station for our community where we have two of them, two stations, 25 different ways to recycle, and then the garbage. So that's a whole lot of variety on ways to uh, upcycle. And we were educated on it. They created this whole program to teach our community about it. They made pamphlets. They delivered supplies to us. They taught us how to use it, how to set it up. They have workers there all the time constantly developing and they also have some of their team go out and teach other communities how to do this stuff and so these sustainable development goals to us is putting our um, what things we hold important into a western categorization if you may and I welcome any one of my team to tell a bit about what their community does for this Thank you. Maybe I'll just go again as well, just, just to elaborate on Eliza's thing. Um, we also have a community garden in Lilla Nation, and most of the community goes in and works on the garden, and I'm pretty sure most of the food goes to the community as well, and that's been going on for a number of years now, and yeah, I think it's uh, a great thing. I could speak a little bit more about that. Yes, Hayden, we do have a community garden system, and right now we have at least two sites confirmed for use. All you have to do is sign up and be interested and show up. And they can be yours to utilize. And we also have a farm that's intention is to be able to supply food for many years to come. So there was berry bushes planted, a whole variety of vegetables. We even did a survey, we brought a survey out to the community asking, what kind of food do you wanna see here at the farm? We have 17 acres where you can fill it up with what you are interested in and we'll learn about it together. And it actually happened. And also the, oh, they supply the grocery store, the school, the breakfast and lunch programs, and they have extended into an outdoor education program. So the kids go there all the time. And I lost my train of thought. So I'm going to hand it off to Cassidy, who looks interested. 
I mean, I definitely haven't heard anything about the garden. I've known a lot of success, like coming from your guys's uh, territory and how much you guys have done for so many places, so many people. And just hearing that, I think that's wonderful. I think that's a good thing to continue off of. And I think other places are, or well, should, can take that into consideration and try and uh, follow your guys' steps. You guys are so well controversed, like in between, like actually working together and not only that, making it happen, which is hard to do in today's world. Thank you. What we really have on our side is our two chief system and our 11 council members who have, they actually stated to us in a, in a general assembly of, I hand my power over to you. You tell me how to use it and I'm going to deliver it to the best of my ability. And with also understanding that like, it took a long time to get here. This is over the course of many generations, but, uh, for one way that I started is that I just took on a student job to learn about gardening and that developed and snowballed into something like, as long as I stayed interested, they kept on offering different titles to keep me there. And I really appreciate, I gotta give a shout out to our chief dean, Kukbi Shkalulmuh because he came to Hayden and I and our youth council and he said, hey, I want you to help me build this up into something, something great. And he gave us the support to do that. So really uh, supporting your supporters really goes a long way. That's such amazing, amazing things like both your communities are doing. I was just wondering, because the SDGs were created without Indigenous people, if any of your guys' communities have seen the gaps from that. Uh, Tasha, I saw you raise your... Yes, that was a great point. I was just going to start talking about that. Um, as we've been talking, we, we hear about all of the things that our communities are doing um, to reach these goals before the United Nations even recognized them as sustainable development goals. Um, they were not made with Indigenous people in mind or with, with Indigenous people, uh, even though, as Eliza said, they've been doing this for decades. They've been working on these plans. They've been working not only on, but with the land. Um, and you brought up the recycling, uh, which I think is great and amazing. Uh, but it just sparked something in my head that brought me back to my community. Um, a few years ago, we had a compost plant come into the town um, up in Botany Valley. And it was very, uh, what's the word? It was very controversial bringing the plant to the town. Um, many of the townspeople did not want it on the territory, uh, especially when the people in the town aren't the actual ones using it. So in, in the town itself, we don't have um, any plans for compost or how to dispose of that. Most people just have their own compost planters that they, with that, that they use in their, like, their backyard. Uh, but bringing, bringing this compost plant to the town, uh, so, and it became 
more invasive rather than helpful. Uh, those in the town weren't the actual ones using it. Uh, huge trucks would come in uh, from out of town, from larger cities, uh, and would drive up and dump their compost, which in itself doesn't seem all of that sustainable to those who are seeing how it's actually being done. So people out in the city, sure, they think they're doing a great thing, they're composting, um, but they don't really realize what where their compost is going after they put it in the bin. Uh, they don't know how far the, these trucks are traveling um, and what kind of effects that has on the communities where those plants are. That's an excellent point and very important that solutions need to come from within the community. Like we got this because we recognized that we had issues with our garbage system. We had way too many bears coming in and they were they were getting super comfortable garbage bears they started like coming on our back porches so we really had to eliminate our old system to sustain them so that's why now we have fully gated fully personneled if you may and we have a actual composting facility that's outside of our community like in between us and whistler so you just get a little inconvenienced on your drive over there. So that's a great point that the community really needs to be involved in solutions. Shelby, you're from like a northern rural remote town. Rural and remote communities are disproportionately affected by climate change and by a lot of social different social change. How has this been affecting your community? Yeah, I think there's a lot to think about there. I grew up in pretty much like Muskeg, which is a very sensitive ecosystem. So I grew up seeing a lot of rapid change in my area. And I think one, it's just scary because we were people who are really on the land and camp all like all of moose season. So I think seeing these different things has been scary for me as an individual, but also with my community. And I think even talking with my elders and they say the seasons are changing, the periods of times are changing, the snow's changing. Um, it bothers me because in some ways there's no words to describe in Crete why that's happening. And that's a bit difficult, but with the SDGs and how that's all going and what that's supposed to be and what that's supposed to build up in communities, I think it isn't helpful just because, again, there's nothing in the Cree language that really describes what's going on because they hadn't seen that before. And I think that would be the push we need to make to understand this whole situation from a Cree perspective and what that means for us and what that means for our elders and how we describe it that way and how we describe it through story. So that's where the SDGs kind of fall short for me as an individual. I think it's just so disconnected who I am as a Cree person, as a spiritual person, as someone who wants to be connected with the land. It's just such a disconnect that it's hard for me to see the land as something that's not a living being. And it's hard for me to not see the land as something that's just an extension of ourselves. And that all that we're doing to the land is just stuff we're doing to ourselves. And we can kind of just see it in our society how we treat other people as disposable and expendable and while something like the SDGs are trying to combat that I feel it's missing a key component of a key component of 
just the spirit, just the spirit of who we are as indigenous people, not to be pan-indigenous about it, but <laughs> just, um, yeah, that's a portion of who we are. That's difficult for me to connect and relate to, I guess, in that way. So I think if we were going to move forward and change the SDGs, there'd be greater discussions about the spiritual implications of all these things. And now we created this kind of spiritual being that didn't want to be here that's now called climate change. And it's like, how do you work with something that's so volatile? And something that seems to have a core of anger at the end of the day. I mean, I feel like if it was one of us and like we were being poked and prodded and people, things were being ripped away from us, we'd be a bit upset too. So um, yeah, that's where I'm at in that thought process for now. That's mm -hmm. great. Thank you. And we've said it a couple of times, I believe that we are the climate justice team at FIDEA, and, but we're mainly speaking on SDG 11, sustainable cities and communities in this podcast episode. Um, and we've heard a different infrastructures from different communities here. Um, Western infrastructure is completely different from like indigenous infrastructure. And are, does anyone have any ideas on how we can kind of like combine the two to create more sustainable infrastructure for climate change for our communities? Um, maybe not for my community, but like I've seen it like when we went to go visit of Soap Nation, they got like a good mix of both. They got like um, their leaders in clean energy with the, the solar panels, but also you guys have your, your farming thing. Uh, maybe Terrence grew into a bit more with like the... Um, oh. The oyster farming? The our oyster farming, yeah. Oyster farming and also like... Um, guys are doing like wasabi stuff too right so you guys are up at the ladybug yeah got got a few things going on uh shoot they're actually ever since the tsunami from japan caused such a uh like the all the radiation spread and how much of a downfall in their ecosystem had happened a huge the wasabi industry dropped like just wildfire like a forest had just disappeared it was just gone it was completely unstable and unfortunately for their community it was a lot of money to support their people with this wasabi growing so our community actually decided to make acquaintance and work together with them where we could use our ecosystem and our um like land that is great for growing uh, to grow their plants and be able to transport it and sell for them and make uh, it more sustainable again and make sure it's back on top of where it used to be. So I always thought that was a great way to kind of try and help fix things after a climate change disaster, for sure. Um, another reasoning too is like there are some things that we are trying to work on just so the oyster farming does do better a little bit in the year it can become a little bit more difficult due to like how the harbor is slowed down especially when it comes to an opening that's been closed off between the open waters and the harbor along souk nation uh a lot of like higher up companies ended up developing public parks, which really screwed up our ecosystem. And that is not a, like good for the whole 
situation, especially when we're having to try and live off of our own resources and trying to actually continue that as an acknowledgement and learning like situation for youth and kids as they grow up too. But like for, I know for our community, like our chief has always talked about how, you know, like the with and spit, not a lot of people know what that is, but what that is, is a public walkway that has been built out into the ocean. And what it has done is it cuts off the opening between the open waters and our harbor. So the sea animals and the sea creatures and every living thing that was in the harbor is easily like detect like contaminated and or um not easily able to sustain and actually living there so over time we went from tons and tons of sea life all along our coast to not really able to see anything and much like the most we can see now are seals and they're so dependent on us feeding them because there's so little amount of food that like they will pretty much just come up to your boat and ask for what you got. <laughs> like they'll wait and follow until they can get fed because there's nothing that they can like survive off of, which is sad. We do want these waters to be clean and nicely resourced and properly filtered through the way it was supposed to do. But, you know, a lot of provincial parks and public places develop without acknowledging the ecosystems actual like like filter coming through like trees and uh like even just from trees to a whole forest where it comes from living areas for other animals and we just take so little consideration and we just like well I can't say we not everybody does like that I personally don't but <laughs> the tearing down and just the constant taking from what wasn't ours in the first place and that's what we're trying to get back we're trying to get like reverse the situation and try and put it back to the way it used to be and how our territory looked like before and it was thriving it was beautiful now it's just sad and glum and not very great especially because it used to be a huge beautiful tourism area and that continued to gathering a lot more population and more housing so now it's not that beautiful forestry soup that we remember the most we can really appreciate is our ocean and even then it's not the cleanest because of what we've done like we've lost so much and we're still continuing to lose more and more if we don't stop it. So I know with our community, we're trying to work on some way of stopping it without completely changing our modern life. Cause that can be a huge shock to people. I know um, Sunshine, was it Sunshine that wanted to say something after I? It's so funny. I love how people say sunshine, but it's always me. Um, <laughs> we, they get mixed up between the two. Oh, sorry. It's totally fine. We're sisters. It's all good. I totally understand. Uh, but what I was going to add to that was a, a big issue that I'm seeing in the topics that we're talking about is there's this disconnect um, from Western, Western ways and Indigenous knowledges and Indigenous practices. 
um, and there's a lack of consultation and collaboration with those, um, which we see a lot in like rural indigenous communities. We have the Stein Valley in the Common School. So it's a school actually run by um, the Lytton First Nation Band. And they've, they've been trying to change the way uh, we teach our kids. So they've, they've adopted certain practices where they have half school days, first of all. Uh, the first part of the day, they actually do regular textbook uh, tests and stuff. Um, but in the afternoon, they actually dive a little deeper into Indigenous knowledge um, and sustainable ways. So they've they've done a few really cool projects, actually. Um, but some of the bigger ones are, first of all, um, their solar panels that help run their school. And they have actually started a farm, uh, which is really cool to see. So they have, I know they have pigs, I think they have chickens, Um just to kind of show like the different ways of learning, the different ways of being, it, like you don't have to, like education can be seen in very different ways. Um, schools in Lilwat also um, have been changing their, their typical ways of education as well. Yes, we have just, we've, um, okay. We are blessed to have elders who begin every single address to us by reminding us that we have never signed away or given away anything and that we do have our own declaration of rights and that includes the ways well what we cover with our children we actually had like documents stating how we used to do that pre-colonial contact and I appreciate what you ladies are bringing up because yes, two big things that are missing in these SDGs are traditional languages because there's a whole world of knowledge outside of the English language. Another one is biodiversity and interconnectivity. That's also missing. When you look at the website for the SDGs, it's all nice and pretty. It's like categorized, all nice and tidy, if you may. And for us First Nations, we understand that it's like, it's like this beautiful spider web. Everything is connected. Everything is important. Everything can, uh, can add to this. They, all of us can, can learn from the past seven generations and put plans and actions in the place that care for the next seven generations. And that's really hard to convey in the English language to the depth of our heart's understanding on it. And thank you for bringing those up. Oh, the education part. Yes, we have actually full immersion for our Okramuksh language. Right now it goes from nursery up to grade five. The the eventual goal will be having it all the way up into grade 12 for full immersion of Uhumuksh. And we're very blessed to have elders who are pushing for that and building it and working it all the time. Uh, so one thing that they've realized is to go straight to the children, especially when it comes to learning language. They, they don't have all the colonialism 
stuff that we have on added on to us they they're like they're pure joy and love and so they get time with the elders they get to learn uh the songs they have uh singing and dancing every single week no matter what and our cultural chief he goes and visits them every week whenever even our political chief he goes there and he's like i just needed a break from the office and he'll go and sing a song with the kids and that interconnection, that's what really helps us continue life. I believe that's the end of my thought. Yeah. Um, so I was just thinking to what Eliza was saying about how um, the SDGs were formed and their, how they're structured. Uh, all of their ideas are very broad, which I guess does make sense when you're talking about like a, like looking at it on a worldwide worldwide scale, uh, but we can't actually um, use that to, I don't know, shape the way we try to, no, I'm totally losing my thought. Basically, it's just, it's so, it's so broad. Everywhere is going to need a different type of solution, a different way to, um, solve these issues. And I know Shelby talks a lot about community and how community is important. Do you have any, anything to say? Yeah, about your previous question? No worries. I think even just that, just community, just bringing in the community, I think. A lot of these things are created by people who are isolated by themselves in an office going through this thing. And there's a heart of it that is very important that wants to see people succeed and to wants, wants to develop a world that looks different. But I think that's just where the disconnect is. If you don't bring the community members in, it's very difficult to know what they need and know what they're doing as well. So I think if we're going to move forward using the SDGs, it's just going to be bringing in that element of community. What is the oldest thing? What is the youngest thing? And how we can make it something that's easy to understand. Again, that will be bringing in language, but that's a, that's a whole nother can of beans, I think. And um, for this one, it will just be, again, working within community, bringing them back in and um, just acknowledging that the land is a big part of our community. And we, again, we just separate ourselves from it so often, but it's kind of silly at this point. I think we've affected the land so much that uh, now it deserves a seat at the table. But we'll see, we'll see if my big, my big dreams come true. But that's what I would say, yeah. Talk to people, talk to the land. Ask the birds what they think about your construction project. I'm guessing they're not going to be super stoked about it. <laughs> and uh, just working again with natural order in the world. I think it's the best we can do. I'll pass it off. Who is maybe going to touch on the zero mile diet and what that means? So many places uh, rely on uh, like men and women traveling so far just to get resources to survive as a community. So our zero mile diet means that we have the like the land and the proper resources just to grow yeah. within our community. So we don't have to go out and continue more energy wise and having to constantly move around to survive. If you just yeah. 
settle Transporting down. food. It's really expensive and it has mm-hmm. proven to be really expensive throughout history and it doesn't get much cheaper no matter how you're doing it. Um, there's a lot of places and communities that can hardly get their hands on food without it costing them an arm and a leg. Uh, it's like, it's really nice that we have such a developed community, but not everybody's so lucky. And the ability to rely off of what's already around you is something that our people have been able to do. Everybody, humans have been able to farm and cultivate stuff for thousands of years. Well, a couple thousand years, let's, let's say. And it's not that we forgot. It's just that we've become so diluted in what we're doing that we really don't focus on the simple things. And it is really important to be self-sustainable because once you're self-sustainable, you can really start focusing on growing. But when you keep borrowing from other people, you become this different entity that isn't yourself. Food is really expensive, but the second you can start cultivating it yourself, everything changes and you can start teaching it to your kids. Everything becomes cheaper and your community becomes more sustainable, sustainable and helpful. And like, you can really start sharing not that knowledge well not 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 the stuff that you're getting but the knowledge you know teach teach man to fish (laughs) it's it's these these are important things that we haven't necessarily forgotten but we're not focusing on as much as we should and not to mention the amount of technology and things and you know teaching methods that have come about over the years that you know we've been using maybe not for the best reasons but like a lot of people think they need a motored boat and a proper fishing rod to grab a paddle fish (laughs) grab a paddle and like it's really relaxing you need a fishing rod unfortunately (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) you can't you can't go spear fishing anymore that's just if everybody did that not in this location really serious like we aren't like looking at this as a joke like we can definitely joke around about it in our own ways but you can't look at it as a joke it is a huge serious like situation for people having to learn on sustainability and it's not only that a huge part of the sustainability isn't growing your own food it's using it at a proper resource it's not overusing it's not being greedy you know you need to know how to properly like commit to a community and not become selfish like a lot of it's really like easy for humans to become selfish just wanting more for themselves and that's not what the world needs right now at all like especially when it comes to food like we're coming to so many things getting so much more expensive because we're running out of those resources you know work with your community everybody's got to be on the same page as well you got to have that unity otherwise it's just going to fall apart and you're going to be doing it yourself and in today's world, that is actually a knowledge that is very, like, rich to know. Like, it's really, in today's world, it's very underlooked. Nobody really bothers. But having that knowledge, like, knowledge, and that's where the knowledge becomes so rich because it's so much easier to be able to be held up and it's so much harder to fall down when you have that knowledge. And oh, yeah. Well, you just take like a power outage, for example, if you, if you have, you know, your own grown food, you, you can keep going for quite a few weeks just on your own. If, you know, something drastic were to happen, even though that's unlikely, I guess, 
the worst thing I could think of is like a solar flare, just power going out, you know, things are possible, bad things can happen, you know, we could be without water, we could be without food. But if our community has already been, you know, developing these things on their own, they have their own way of going about it, dealing with it. That's what every community needs, because I'm sure it also changes drastically depending on your location and like, you know, the terrain and the climate. And that climate's changing too. So things might become impossible that once were possible. It might be harder to farm these days. It's so damn cold and so damn hot where it should be. Like for where uh, we are, like on the West Coast, when it comes to sustainability, we look at um, salmon, fish, like, you know, like local food resources that are grown and or like just lived through on this part of an ecosystem and environment. And then other places that are super hot will have different kind of animals, different kind of plants and foods. Like it, it all really depends on where you are. Like you can, it's, I think it would be best to know uh, knowledge. And I think it would be so helpful if this was actually in like schooling systems for people to know depending on where you are, if you were to go travel anywhere, you can know how to sustainably like grow food and um, know exactly what you would need in that area. So like, oh, if you're going to go there, make sure you got like lots of wheat. It's a really good area for like big growths of wheat. It's super like, like you get lots of water, but lots of warmth. You're perfect. Like, like like the standardized education uh, layout for communities to where they can kind of show you how you could you know potentially eat without necessarily needing money yeah Uh, I know we only have a few more minutes on here so I think me and Terrence can wrap up on our big chunk there thanks uh, guys (laughs) see what else if anybody else has anything else to say about their communities before we move on yeah, any last words before we wrap up this really interesting talk? And we will be back. We will be doing more episodes. I saw Hayden jump no, up. I was, so I, was just, I was just saying this is awesome. It was great. And something felt more like felt really dynamic. And I'm uh, stoked to do some more episodes with you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Chris McCow from uh, Hayden Leo here. What we math. Looks jump. Hi, Chica. Hi. Oh, what? No.